everybody. It's great to be back with you. Last week we prayed for Merge Church and Ephraim Cirillo as they launched their very first church service last week. Let me tell you, it was an amazing experience. Never been a part of anything quite like that. Been a part of a lot of first church services, done a couple of them myself. But I'm telling you, he knocked it out of the park in part because of your prayers. They had 435 people for the very first service. Isn't that amazing? You know, God is up to something through Pastor Ephraim and his family. They have worked hard. I, I just so admire them and, and uh, continue to, to lift them up in prayer. Well, today we're going to do a three-week series called Survivor. How many of you have ever watched the TV show Survivor? All right, yeah. We, we, you know, it's, it's funny. There's, uh, when, I, when I was telling people about the series, a lot of people have various comments and thoughts and, and um, ideas about it. Now, of all of you who have, who have raised your hand that said you have watched the TV series. How many of you have ever contemplated applying for the series? What's wrong with you guys? Man, every season my wife and I talk about, can, could we be on there and, and what would happen if we would win? And my wife was just asking me just this week, because the, the premiere was this week, she was saying, would, would they take somebody with, with cancer like mine? And I said, I don't know, maybe you should apply and you know, cry a lot or something. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll take you. You know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the series, just real quick, just a real quick uh, synopsis. It's, it's about this, these 20 people, they go to an island. They, they're doing them all now in Fiji. They used to do them all over the world. They do them in Fiji. In fact, my wife and I, we've been to Fiji where they, where they film these. It's a pretty cool place. And um, they, they bring these people on. And the goal is that you would outwit, outplay, and outlast everyone else who joins the island, and they divide up into things that they call tribes, and there's obstacles, and there's journeys, there's a social game, and, and it's all about who can, and here's the goal, the goal is that you would be the last person standing, what they call the sole survivor, the S-O-L-E, sole survivor, and if you are that person, you win a million dollars. Now, this, this TV series has been going, they've had 40 seasons. This year's their 40th season. Very popular. Made a lot of money, I'm sure. And, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. But here's one of the interesting things is there's always a villain. There's always somebody that emerges as the bad guy trying to keep everybody else from winning so that they can win and have the title of sole survivor. Pretty cool show. But in life, there's a lot of other kinds of survivors. There's those who have survived 9-11. There's cancer survivors. There's... Holocaust survivors, but in this series, I want to talk about a different survivor, and that survivor is you. Your life is a story. You know that. For some of you, you look at your life and you say, well, my, my life's a comedy. For some, a comedy of errors, but comedy. Some of you say, well, my life is an action adventure. For others of you, it's a, it's a thriller. For some of us, you might even say, well, right now my life's a horror story. But make no mistake, your life is writing a story. Now here's the thing, God has designed your story to be a romance story. He designed it to be this romance of you and Him as you, as you journey this life together. But just like on Survivor, and just like there is in almost every story, there is an antagonist. 
there is a villain in the story. You see, in your spiritual story, the villain wants to steal you from God, and in the process, he wants to crush you spiritually. And not only does he want to crush you spiritually and morally, he wants to slay you. And he also has your family in his crosshairs. Now in this series, we're going to tackle this subject in what I think will be a fairly straightforward manner. And I don't want to be too... uh, too uh, grandiose with this comment, but I really want you to understand something. Spiritually speaking, physically speaking, your life is a battle for your soul. The Bible tells us that Satan is at work, that he is at work now, and we do not need to forget it. We need to realize that we have an enemy of our souls and we need to be aware of his schemes. I like what the Puritan Thomas Brooks once wrote. He said that that we have all the resources in Christ and what he calls these resources are precious remedies against Satan's devices. In the course of this series, here's what I hope that we can do. I hope that we can expose the work of Satan in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of those around you. I hope in the course of this series, we can give you four or five strategies for for defeating Satan in your life. In fact, I hope that you'll think that the next three weeks are worthy of your time. And I'm hoping that you will join with us as we try to become a tribe of overcomers. Now, when we are doing battle with Satan, we need to realize that there are critical things we must know if we are to win the battle for our souls. The Apostle Paul made an interesting reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It's not on the screen, but in that verse of scripture, Paul wrote, and he was just kind of, it was kind of a parenthetical phrase. He was writing about something else and he snuck this text of scripture in. He says that in order that Satan might not outwit us, that Satan might not outwit us. You see, Satan can defeat us when we are unaware of his schemes. If we're not intelligent, if we're not aware, if we're not cognizant of what He is doing, Satan can sneak in and he can steal from us all that God has planned for us. But Francis Bacon, in a a, a work that he wrote a few hundred years ago entitled Sacred Meditations, he coined the phrase, knowledge is power. And as he said, if we understand by knowledge what Satan is doing, we can have power over him. So this morning, I want, to, I want to run quickly through a couple of thoughts, and I want to get to the end because I want to tell you some important things, so stay with me. As we think about this villain in our store, we need to ask the question, who is he? Now, you've heard a lot of different names for him, but I want to show a few scriptures, and I want to give you an understanding of who Satan is by understanding his name. You know, in the Bible, names are important. When someone had a change of life, they had a change of name. Abram went from Abram to Abraham and other folks like that. My name, is, my name is Timothy. My name means honoring God. Now what's so interesting is while my family never went to church, they chose the name Timothy for me. How could they know that that's what my life would be about except that somehow God gave them this name and, and that's what a name means. Your name means something. Well, the name of Satan also means something else. So let's look at a few scriptures and see what it looks like. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus is talking He's just had this, 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 this discourse with his disciples and he was explaining to them what was going to happen when they go out and they try to share the gospel when they're living as disciples of Jesus Christ. What's going to happen? 
Well, Jesus gets to the end of this, and he says, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, in, t- in context, here's what's happening. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, had actually called Jesus the Son of God by a name of a false god, Beelzebub. Now, if you think about that word Beelzebub, here's what's interesting. is the, if, if you break it down, the first part of that word, Beel or Baal, meant Lord, meant God. And Zebub has several different meanings during, during its history of the word. It means Lord of the flies, Lord of the high place, Lord of the dung. So the Pharisees were calling Jesus by a name that was reserved for Satan, and they were calling Him the Lord of the dung. That's what they were calling Jesus. Might be an unpartable sin there. But that's what, that's what Satan's, one of his names is. It's, it's Beelzebub. He is the God. He is the Lord of the high place, the false place. In Revelations chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, we see another passage of Scripture. Here, John is writing, it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. Now here's what's interesting. Follow me for just a second. That first name in this text is called the great dragon. Now, when we think of the word dragon, we think of some mythological creature, you know, that we, that we see in movies that, that has big wings and a pointy tail and flies around and, and breathes fire out of his mouth. And, and that, that, that image has become associated with this person of, of Satan. But in reality, the word dragon is... is, um, is um, comes from a a different idea, which actually originally meant dinosaur. It's really interesting. It doesn't use the word dinosaur because the word dinosaur wasn't invented until the 1800s by a paleontologist. And so when the authors was writing about this, they were thinking about these creatures, not the flying mythological dragons, but they were thinking about these these unusual, often scary-looking giant creatures that they had heard about or maybe even had seen at some point. And so John was using that as a reference to refer to Satan. Not only does he call him the great dragon, or this this great awful creature, but he calls him the ancient serpent. We think of the snake when we think of the serpent. And next week I want to share a little bit more about what that the connection between Satan and the snake and the serpent really is all about. And he says not that, that we call Satan, this great dragon, the, the ancient servant, the devil, or, or Satan. And notice down at the end of the text, it says, for the accuser of our brothers. That's actually literally what the word Satan means, the accuser. Satan is the accuser. And if you look at that text, it says that the accuser does so day and night. He never stops in his activities of accusing our brothers. You see, begin to see these, these names that are used. Notice John 12, 31. It says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. It's the name of Satan. He is called the prince, a ruler of this world. Not the next world, not the world to come, but of this world. 
that he is ruling in the lives of people here in this world, that there is a, a kingdom of sorts that belongs to him here in this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that he is the God of this age. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the God of this age. He's the one that in this time people worship. Notice Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Many people often associate this text of Scripture with the idea of where Satan came from. Notice what it says. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Now here's what's interesting. No English translation other than the King James and the New King James uses the word Lucifer for day star, but that is one translation of that phrase, O day star, is the word Lucifer. Now when you translate that word, here's what, here's what I find very interesting. It's translated from a word halal, and that word actually means to howl. So a, a very literal translation might be, how you have fallen from heaven, howling son of the morning. Now isn't the devil sometimes referred to as a wolf in sheep's clothing? You see the character of Satan? From all of these names, from all of these descriptions, we find that, that this Satan, this accuser, is a dark entity. That, he, that, that his name itself is one that we should be wary of. So what is Satan trying to do in your life? John chapter 10, verse 7 through 10 is very interesting. I want you to follow me on this one. I'm going to show you something about this verse that, that you maybe have never seen before. It says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life, and have it abundantly. I would venture to say that most all of us, when we read that passage of Scripture, when it comes to the word, the thief comes to steal, we insert the name of Satan into that word thief. But the reality is when you look at that text in context, Satan is not referred to as the thief. Instead, it's the false prophets who are referred to as the thieves. Now we may say, what, is that, what does that have to do with what we're talking about right now? Here's what we need to understand. Jesus was saying to the people that he was speaking to at the moment that there are false prophets, there are false teachers trying to lure you away from the true teaching, from the truth that I want to give to you. Brothers and sisters, there are false teachers today among us. You see them on TV. If you're not careful, you can go to a bookstore have to be careful sometimes, because sometimes even in a Christian bookstore, that there are people who are teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God. Peter said this, he said, there will be false teachers among you, said Peter. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Notice what he also says, many will follow the depraved con their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dis repute. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So here's what this passage means. Here's what Satan's trying to do. And, and in some ways, I find this more insidious than just being able to say that the thief was Satan. Satan is using 
false teachers, people who masquerade as angels of light, of people speaking truth. He is using those folks to try to deceive you, to pull you away from the truth, so that when you move away from the truth, you will enter into a life where the truth has been stolen, the truth has been killed in your heart, and therefore at the end of the day, your life will be destroyed. That's the work of the false teachers. They're trying to take you away from Jesus and move you towards the darkness. But Jesus is over there calling us to the light. He's calling us to the light. He's beckoning us. He's yelling after us. He's sending people after us. And yet here we are sometimes at a crossroads and we're wondering, do we go left or do we go right? And, and we're like people who listen to the itching ears. We got things we want to hear. We want to listen to a certain gospel. And we don't want to listen to the gospel of Jesus. And so what are these people doing? While the thief in this text is not Satan, it is those that Satan is using to destroy you. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I mean, Satan is just looking for someone that, that spiritually, even physically, that, that he can destroy in his life. And it says he, he walks around like a prowling lion. Now, I don't know. I, I, maybe I've shared this with you before, but in the past, I've done a lot of backpacking. Um, done a lot of backpacking, a lot of time in the forest and, and multi-day treks and all that kind of stuff. Let me just tell you, when I'm out in the wilderness, I'm not scared of bears. In fact, I kind of like bears. They're cute. Now, granted, the closer they get to you, the less cute they are. But they're pretty cool. I mean, my, my day is made when I'm walking through the forest and I can see a bear. That just, to me, that is, that is just, that's just made my day. But what I am afraid of, besides snakes, don't like snakes, is mountain lions. Because here's the thing with a mountain lion, is you never see them. And then the last thing you know, you're saying, oh, I'm dying by a mountain lion. That, that's just how they work. And you see, that's Satan. Satan's, Satan is not going to, you know, he's not trying to, to, to sneak in. I mean, he's not trying to walk in and just say, hey, I'm Satan, look at me. No, he sneaks in. He tries to kill you. That's his job. John 8.44 says, as Jesus talking again to the religious leaders, you are the father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see what Satan does is he's a murderer trying to destroy you, and he does so with lies. The things that Satan tries to tell us, whether it's through some spiritual moment or whether it's through a false teacher or whether it's through some other source, is he wants to lie to you and get you off track. Now you ask the question, so why does he want you? I mean, you may be thinking, why does Satan want just, why does he want little old me? I mean, I'm so cute. Why would, why would Satan want, want me? Satan wants you because you want God. And Satan knows that your soul is on the line. How valuable is your soul? Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? 
You could have billions and trillions and everything conceivable, physically speaking. You could even have the best relationship in the world with your spouse. You could have the greatest kids in the world. You could have everything that life could give you. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't have nothing. For what can a man give in return for his soul? That was a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. There's nothing. Your soul is so important. And that's the battle. That's the prize in this spiritual warfare is your soul. God wants it. Satan wants it. And there's a battle. Now having said all of that, I want to uh, I want to address something pretty pretty forthrightly. You know, when we talk about the devil and culture, there's this there tends to be this spectrum, this continuum, if you will. And on the one side, people tend to think of of Satan as some you know silly cartoonish figure wearing a a red suit with a you know pointy tail and a pitchfork, right? And some horns and this little, you know, this little evil smile on his face. And we, we think of Satan like that. And, and he's become, in that sense, he's become such a cartoon character that, that there's no reason to fear him. In fact, if you, if you look at some cartoons, he, he actually kind of looks endearing. It's like, oh, Satan. On the other end of this spectrum are those who believe he doesn't even exist. And if he does exist, well, he's nothing more than this philosophical force or, or maybe this, this moral principle that religious people use to try to, to keep everyone in line. In fact, 62% of Americans, according to one poll, said that Satan, Satan is nothing more than a principle. He's the dark side of philosophical dualism for some of us in the church we just uh, we we know that satan's there and we know that you know biblically they talk about him but we're not really sure where he is well there's a painting that's on the screen it's it's art from 1795 i just wanted to to give you this give you a look at this it's it was painted by a saint francis borgia and the idea was uh, was uh, was uh, about the Saint Francis was helping a dying impenitent. And you'll notice, back in 1795, there was these these two characters who looked like Satan, and here he was with a, a cross, and the picture is him doing this this exorcism, if you will, at the end of this person's life. Is that picture real? Was that just some art that somebody thought about, or is there something there, folks? I want to I want to I want to go quickly, but I want to want to share with you that um, Satan is real. Please don't leave today thinking he's a red cartoon character or a philosophical force. Please understand that he's real, and that he's after you. He's after your kids. He's after the people that you love. He's after anyone. He can reach. And his reality is not just some, it's not just reality because we use words to describe it, but he is actually real. There's a, I'm not going to believe this probably, there is an international association of exorcists. It's called the IAE. I didn't, I didn't realize there was that group before. The IAE. They reported a few years ago 
that the that demonic activity in recent years has dramatically increased. In 2018, there was a story in Ireland, a true story of a priest by the name of Father Pat Collins. He said that that he was getting overwhelmed by the number of requests for exorcisms in Ireland. And he wrote this open letter and he urged bishops to train priests to deal with this demand. In fact, he he said that that the demand in Ireland has risen exponentially. He ended up writing that um, he ended up writing the following. He said, what I'm finding out desperately is people who are, who uh, is people who in their own minds believe, rightly or wrongly, that they are afflicted by an evil spirit. And when they turn to the church, the church doesn't know what to do with them. And they refer them on to either a psychologist or they fall between the cracks and are often not helped. What he's saying is, is that, that there are these people who are coming forth who have these issues And here's the thing is sometimes, and I just want to go right there. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that if someone is acting strange, they must have a mental illness. Now, please hear me real carefully. Not everyone who has a mental illness is possessed, but not everyone that we think has a mental illness truly does. We know that mental illness has a large biological basis. There are many people who have mental illness of various kinds, we have to deal with that. I have a very, very close family member who is dealing with bipolar, and they have a chemical imbalance, and that makes them do all kinds of, of, of weird things at times. I understand that, that and for their case, it's probably a, a, a mental illness, but there are moments, many moments, in fact, when something else is going on inside a person. The Vatican in Italy set up a series of new exorcism training courses because in Italy they were receiving over 500,000 cases of reported demon possession every year. When you ask what was happening, one priest, uh, Benigno Palia, a Sicilian priest, said that he said it was the popularity of fortune tellers and tarot card readers has adopted, that has been helping to skyrocket these demonic occurrences. In Indianapolis, Indiana, just two years ago, the Catholic Archdiocese of Indianapolis also reported that there was an increasing demand for exorcisms and there was an increasing amount of reported demon possession. There's a man by the name of Richard Gallagher who, by all accounts, is probably not a believer. He's, a, he's a, an Ivy League professor. He's trained in psychiatry. He trained in psychiatry at Yale. He trained in psychoanalysis at Columbia. He's a very smart and intelligent man. He said that for the past two and a half decades, he's been doing hundreds of consultations, helping clergy all over the country decipher between this idea of mental illness and the literally the devil's work. And it's hard to know. Folks, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the devil is real. I'm not going to say too much, but you, many of you know that, that, that Cindy and I, and, and particularly myself, have traveled a lot of places around the world. And I won't go into the stories, but I, I have story after story that I could tell you. And I, when I tell you this, I, I just say this as pastorally to give you an independent, first-hand verification that demons are real. And I know what they sound like.
and they're after you. They can. They, they are. I, I'm not trying to be dramatic or, or overstate the point, but I am telling you, if Jesus was dealing with it, we'll deal with it. And we need to be prepared for it. So what are we to do with what I'm saying this morning? We know that Satan is coming after you. I want you to, you need to know two things. First thing you need to know is that you are in a battle for your soul. If you never knew that before you walked in, I want you to know that that's what's happening right now. That sometimes there are things in your life when, when and, and, and you might have a different story, but for some of us, we might be tempted to pick up the bottle and there's this voice saying, go ahead, go ahead, you can do it. We might be tempted and, and lured away in other ways and Satan's saying to us, just whispering in our ear as it were, go ahead, no one's going to know. Or we're going to do this or we're going to do that and Satan's trying to say, don't worry, no one will see. Don't worry, it'll be all right. That Satan is doing whatever he can to lure us so he might destroy us. And you are in a battle for your soul. But the second thing you need to know this morning is that you will be victorious. You will be victorious. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, and I guarantee you when the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, there is no way that, the Satan, that Satan can destroy you. There is no possible way it can happen. I mean... The Spirit is strong in us and Satan recognizes that. And the Spirit will protect you. The Bible tells us when we talk about greater is He in, who is in you than he who is in the world. Acts 1.8 tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. John 14.26 says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. Romans 8.1 and following tells us that the Spirit gives us life. And that we have life in the Spirit, we have truth in the Spirit, and the truth will set us free if we will believe the truth. Do not believe the lies. Do not believe the lies. When you look in the mirror and you start telling yourself something, that I'm not worthy, that my life doesn't matter, that my family doesn't care about me, you need to say, out of this room, Satan. You cannot listen to those voices. You have to believe the spirit of truth which says to you that you are loved and that you are valued and that you are cared for. That God died on a cross for you and if He died on a cross for you, that's how valuable your soul is to Him. There is a battle for your soul. It is real. It can be dark. It can be scary. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in us gives us life and he is there to help you my friends i'm gonna ask you a question this morning is jesus living in you is he living in you if he is living in you then you have all that you need to defeat the satan the accuser in your life the holy spirit is more powerful than the most powerful demon and you can defeat him so this morning, as we, uh, as we conclude, I, I'm just going to, in a moment, we're going to sing a song. We're going to ask you to stand. And this morning, if, if you have a, a trial in your life, if there's something going on in your life where you think you are being uh, oppressed by Satan, where you feel like there, there's truth that you're not sure about in your life, and you want to come forward, there are going to be people here who know how to pray for you. They want to pray for you. They want to help you. 
We want to minister to you in any way that they can. And they are here for you. They are available for you. You can come over to my right, your left, and there will be someone there to pray for you. If you want to come over here to my left and pray by yourself, you can do that. But we are here to serve you, to help you, to help you to be an overcomer so that you will not just be a, so that you'll be a soul survivor. S-O-U-L. Be a soul survivor. Let's stand together. Let's sing. And if you'd like to come forward, come. Oh, 
what the enemy means for evil you turn it for our good and you turn it for our good and for your glory and even in the valley you are faithful you're working for our good and you're working for our good and for your glory come on even what the enemy means for evil you turn it for our good you turn it for our good safe place for believers but I also pray that we would become a dangerous church we need to be dangerous so the devil is afraid of us he loves it when we are lulled into lethargy and we're just sitting back on the spiritual recliner of our lives and he just says I'm not going to mess with you you're not that concerned but you're here because you realize we've got a task to do and when you walk out the doors this day, when you see the exit signs on your way out, please recognize that the people that you're going to meet at work, at the restaurant, you're going to come encounter with at the store, at Walmart, at Sam's, all the places that you go and shop, all of those people, Satan's battling for it too. And we are first responders. That's what the church is. So church... Let's go and do our job. So right now, Lord Jesus, in your name, we commission this body of people to be your dangerous Christ followers to rescue the world. Give them strength and wisdom to do so. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. All right.